for your singing. Here's a loaded question. How many are looking forward to going to heaven someday? How many are not quite ready to go yet? <laughs> Isn't that something? And I think God understands that, doesn't he? I mean, you know, someone's like, hey, I like, I want to get married someday, and then I want to have a family, and then I want to see the family grow up, and then you have grandkids, and you want to see them uh, grow up and thrive. But uh, someday, uh, that's our that's our destination, and uh, we're just here for a short time, aren't we? I mean, the time goes so, so quickly. Um, I, yeah, I, I was going to use an analogy that I heard in a sermon. I'll go ahead and use it now. It's, it's probably not appropriate, but somebody once said, Life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. And, and, and that is, that is true. Uh, can we edit that out of the live stream or whatever? <laughs> uh, all right. Let's read some scripture. This is from Habakkuk, uh, chapter two, verses one through three, and then we'll jump into this. Uh, here's what Habakkuk writes uh, at the beginning of chapter two. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. He's referring to God and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. And will not delay. Let's uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for uh, another day. Lord, we woke up this morning because you uh, allowed us to. Uh, we're here today because you are sustaining the world, sustaining the universe. You're sustaining the heartbeat inside of our chest. And Lord, we thank you for your uh, goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for um, the week behind us. And uh, Lord, for some it's been a good week, for some it's been a challenging week. But Lord, thank you that you are in control of all things. And Lord, as we look into um, this little book uh, written thousands of years ago, but uh, Lord, it speaks to us today. Would you open up our hearts to the, the truth that we need to learn this morning and may it encourage us to um, remain faithful to you in our walk, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you were with us last Sunday, we started to look at a little uh, book in the Old Testament, tucked away there, uh, called the book of Habakkuk. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk is kind of the order. Uh, we, we said this, that reminds you of the structure of the Old Testament, 512, 5512, 5 is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and then 12 books of history, the history of God's people, the nation of Israel. 512, 55, five books of poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, five major prophets, and then 12 minor prophets. And the distinction between major and minor is simply the length of the book. Uh, the book of Habakkuk that we're looking at uh, this morning, three chapters, 56 verses. So the minor prophets are called minor, not because they're any less important. They're all God's spoken, inspired word, but simply because of the length of the book. 
And so we looked at this book last week in chapter 1, and uh, just let me set the context a little bit for us. So uh, Habakkuk is a prophet to the nation of Judah. Remember that uh, Israel divided up between a northern kingdom, ten tribes in the north, they called it Israel, two tribes in the south called Judah. They each had separate kings. And the northern tribe had zero good kings. And so the northern tribe, uh, God judged them uh, in 722 B.C. The Assyrians came up, uh, came up and uh, took the uh, northern tribes and conquered them. The southern kingdom of Judah lasted a little longer because they had a few good kings. And so this is the context. The year's about 605 B.C., Habakkuk is is a prophet to God's people, the southern kingdom, and he sees the immorality and the wickedness of God's people, and it bothers him. And so Habakkuk begins to ask some questions, and in the context of the year 605 B.C., one of their good kings has died not too long ago. His name was Josiah. And there was hope in the nation that there's going to be a turning back to God. Maybe there's going to be a revival because uh, Josiah, the, the child king, made many good spiritual reforms. But then when Josiah died, the nation fell right back into wickedness and immorality. And Habakkuk is dis, uh, a little bit discouraged. And he's got some questions for God, some complaints for God. And we talked about how in our own lives it's okay to to issue those uh, complaints to God and to, to share our hearts with God. And so Habakkuk asks a bunch of questions. And the main question is, how long, Lord? How long before you do something and and judge God's people? There are some people that are asking that in America today. <laughs> With the the direction and the moral decline of our country, Lord, how long is gonna, God going to put up with that? And that was Habakkuk's question. And in chapter one, God answered and said, "Well, I am going to do something." Uh, it's it's something that if somebody told you, you would not believe. And God tells Habakkuk that He's going to judge God's people, but He's going to use the Babylonians, uh, the 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 wicked ruthless Babylonian, which was the rising power in the world at that day to judge God's people. And now Habakkuk has another question. How can you use a much more wicked people to judge God's people? And that's how uh, chapter 2 ends. Habakkuk's like reminding God, like, do you know who they are? Uh, their, their description is found in, in chapter 1. Uh, I'll just read a, a few uh, verses here. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour, and they all come intent on violence. And so the, God says, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge God's people. And that's what happened. 586 B.C., uh, the Babylonians came in, destroyed Jerusalem, and and took uh, God's people captive. This is where the book of Daniel comes in. And they, they King um, Nebuchadnezzar took some of the best uh, Jewish young people and takes them a thousand miles away to, to Babylon. 
And so uh, that's the context of uh, the book of Habakkuk. And so what we're going to share this morning is starting in chapter 2. And as we read verse 1, Habakkuk is waiting. He's waiting for God to answer another one of his questions. How can a righteous God use a nation more wicked than Judah as an instrument of judgment? So let's look at God's answer. And it starts in verse 2. And let me read uh, read verse 2 uh, from Habakkuk chapter 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it may linger, wait for it, for it will certainly come and will not delay. So here God begins to answer Habakkuk's question. And the first thing he says to Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, I want you to write this down. I want you to write my answer down. And uh, Habakkuk did. We have it have it for us here in, in chapter 2, um, God's written revelation that Habakkuk uh, wrote down uh, so that it can be shared, not only with God's people back then, but here we are 2,600 years later, and we can, we can read it. And so the first thing is, Habakkuk, write down what I'm going to tell you. But he also tells Habakkuk to wait. Uh, we, we just read verse 3, but let me just read that last part. Though it linger, wait for it, so it will, for it will certainly come and it will not delay. Verse 4, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faithfulness. Some of your translations say, the just shall live by faith. So first thing God answers, Habakkuk, write this down. And then he says, it's going to come true, but you're going to have to wait for it. You're going to have to wait for the answer to come, but it's going to come. And how long did it take for the revelation to come to pass? And we're going to see that what God told Habakkuk was he is going to judge the Babylonians. And uh, it, it happened, but Habakkuk had to wait for it. He had to wait almost 70 years for this prophecy to come to fulfillment. If you step back in history, Babylon was the world power for a number of years. But then in the year 539 B.C., the Medo-Persian Empire rose to power and came and took over and destroyed the Babylonians. In fact, there's a very... um, Interesting story in, in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, that I'm sure we're familiar with, that uh, describes how this all happened. And I think we've got time to look at it. So uh, here's the story. Remember uh, the uh, King Belshazzar? He's a Babylonian king, and they're having this big feast, and they're having this big party, and they're using the... Uh, the gold goblets that they've taken out of the Temple of Jerusalem to have this big celebration, and all of a sudden, in the middle of that big party, King Belshazzar looks up and he sees some handwriting on the wall. (laughs) And all of a sudden, he's uh, he's frightened. And the handwriting on the wall in uh, Daniel chapter 5, meeny, meeny, tekel, parson, 
God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to the end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Uh, Daniel is the one who, who interpreted that for the king. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was killed, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So there's, there's the fulfillment of this prophecy, the downfall of the Babylonian empire by, uh, by Darius, and uh, how that happened in detail is very, very fascinating. But uh, uh, the message is, wait, and this prophecy will certainly come to pass. Well, let's look at the prophecy, and we're going to just go down, go through this very, very quickly, because the prophecy involves five woes given to Babylon, five reasons why God is going to judge, bring judgment to the Babylonians. Now, the word woe uh, is uh, one definition of the word woe, when I was doing some study, an interjection of distress pronounced in the face of coming judgment. So when somebody says, woe to you, it's not going to be good news. In uh, the Gospels, Jesus pronounced seven woes on the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Well, here we have five woes given to the nation of Babylon and uh, as part of God's uh, judgment. So let's look at them quickly here. Here's the first one. Uh, it's because of their greed, because of their greed. Uh, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Indeed, wine betrays him. Verse 5, he is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes people captive. Will not all of them taunt him and ridicule, with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. So here's the first woe. Uh, God's pronouncing judgment on the Babylonians because they were greedy. Their financial practices were oppressive. And uh, he's basically saying someday that's going to come back and, and haunt you. And it, and it certainly, certainly did. And so the Babylonians became wealthy by greed and plundering uh, the surrounding nations around them. It's interesting in the New Testament that Jesus warns us about greed, doesn't he? Um, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, uh, somebody interrupts Jesus and wants him to be the arbitrator or judge uh, in dividing an inheritance. Imagine a family uh, having a few uh, disagreements about inheritance and happened in Jesus' day. And uh, what's Jesus say? Hey, beware of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he talks about the man who just uh, lived for possessions and he was ready to retire and he was building barns and greater barns and God comes to him and says, um, you're a fool because you haven't planned for eternity. You've just lived for the here and now. 
And so uh, greed uh, is something that, that uh, we all have to be uh, aware of. Uh, secondly, unjust gain. Uh, very, some of these are overlapping and similar. Here's the second woe. Verse 9, woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. Setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest high on high to escape the clutches of ruin. One of the commentators um, kind of references back to chapter 1 when God was describing the Babylonians and uh, in verse 8, the end of verse 8, they fly like an eagle swooping to devour. And so it's this imagery of uh, the wicked Babylonians. They build their nest high because they think uh, nobody can touch them. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen or had the chance to drive by and look at an eagle's nest. That's an amazing thing. Uh, maybe four or five years ago, we took our grandsons to a drive through zoo that was in Ohio, um, kind of towards Sandusky. And uh, the, the quickest route there is Route 2, right along Lake Erie uh, shore. As we were getting close to our destination, I happened to look over to the left in the trees, and there were these huge, huge nests. And we saw a couple eagles uh, from our car, and it was just an amazing sight. Let me tell you about an eagle's nest. They are six feet in diameter, four feet deep, and usually 85 to 115 feet off the ground. So they are, they are like way, way up there. That's a huge nest. Well, that's kind of the imagery here. Just like a, an eagle builds a, a nest and he considers himself safe from the enemies. That's how proud the Babylonians were. And that God was going to judge them for unjust gain. And by the way... Um, when we think about judgment, and we looked at the judgment seat of Christ um, that believers are going to have to stand for, stand before, uh, and there's going to be reward or loss of reward for how we've lived our lives. There's also uh, different degrees of punishment at the great white throne judgment. And so the end judgment for unbelievers, some will be judged far, far worse than others. And the book of Revelation talks about that in Revelation chapter 20. It says, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So this is a judgment of unbelievers. And their judgment is according to what they've done. And so no one's going to get away with anything in this life. God is the righteous, just judge. He will judge us fairly and thoroughly, and he will judge um, those at the great white throne judgment um, as well. Well, woe number three, uh, verses 12 and 13. A woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? And then this great verse that Habakkuk puts in verse 14, and he's looking ahead to the future. 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's looking forward to the the millennial kingdom when Christ will rule and reign. And the nations today are here, they come and they go. But someday God's going to rule and reign on this planet and his glory is going to cover all the earth and the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, let's just look at the, the next two very quickly. Woe number four, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand, that's judgment, is coming around to you. And disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. And your destruction of animals, they were ruthless people, will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands cities, and any everyone in them. Woe number four, your inhumanity to the surrounding nations. Woe number five is because they were idol worshipers. Uh, here's the last woe. Beginning in verse uh, 18, Habakkuk asks an interesting question of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. And so the Babylonians were, were idol worshipers. Uh, Psalm 115 uh, talks about uh, worthless idols. Listen how the psalmist describes them. In Psalm 115, uh, he writes, verse 4, But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. And uh, noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. The psalmist is talking about that idols made by human hands, are worthless. Remember the story in the Old Testament, I think it's 1 Kings chapter 17, and it's it's Elijah and uh, the prophets of Baal and the nation of Israel was at a very crucial time. Uh, Joshua says, choose today who you're going to serve. And they had this big showdown on Mount Carmel, and the God who answers by fire on the sacrifice will be the true God. And so uh, in that showdown on Mount Carmel, the, the prophets of Baal go first. There's 450 of them. They start at noon and they start crying out to their God. They start calling out to him and dancing around the altar. And uh, Elijah's standing back watching and he begins to taunt them a little bit. He begins to say, um, maybe your God's hard of hearing. Maybe your God's uh, gone away on vacation, and, and, and you can read, read the, the text. They begin to frantically cut themselves, calling out to their God, and nothing happens. 
And then what's Elijah do? <laughs> Elijah tells the people to, to pour water on the, on the altar, and some people that read that passage closely like, well, wait a second, I thought there was a drought for three and a half years. There was, but they were very close to the Mediterranean Sea, and so they, they put all this water on the altar, and then Elijah prays, and his prayer is recorded for us. It's interesting um, that the one thing that is missing from his prayer is, God, would you send fire down on the altar? He just says, God, would your name be glorified? Would you show yourself to be the one true God? And what happens? And the fire comes down and and consumes the altar. They kill the prophets of Baal. And all of Israel says, the Lord, he is God. He is the one true God. And so idols are worthless. We have idols today in our lives, don't we? We, we, It's just more sophisticated, isn't it, than the idols that they made with their own hands? An idol is anything that you put ahead of your relationship with God. You will have no other gods before me. I am a jealous God. And so um, because of their uh, oppressive financial practices and greed, their unjust gain, their violence, brutality, inhumanity, In idol worship, God says, the Babylonians are going to be judged as well. Habakkuk, you just have to wait. Well, it's fascinating how the the chapter ends. And uh, so we've looked at writing down the revelation, waiting for it, uh, the five woes. But it ends with worship. This great verse in in chapter 2, verse 20, here's how chapter 2 ends. Ends the pronouncement of Babylon, Babylon's judgment ends with a call to worship. Here's what Habakkuk writes. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God is a true God. God is a sovereign God. God is aware of what's going on in the world. God eventually will judge everyone. No one will get away from anything. God is in his holy temple, and we need to worship him. And sometimes that worship is just being silent. We're not, we're not very good at silence and quietness. I, I actually like Alone time, silence. We were we were in Grand Rapids yesterday because our um, one of our grandsons had a fifth birthday party. So uh, we were there yesterday for the birthday party. <clears throat> Nineteen kids, like twelve and under, and most of them like five and under, all in the same house with moms and dads, and it was chaos. It was fun chaos, but it was chaos. And finally, everybody left, and we just kind of sat there like, ah, listen, silence. It's golden. You know, when we worship God, there, there are times where, in some of our evangelical churches, we're not very good about this, but there are times where we just need to, to shout for joy to the Lord, the Bible says. And, and Psalm 150 says, let's worship God and, and let everyone that have breath praise the Lord and praise him with the cymbals and praise him with the harp and praise him with the lyre. But there are also times where worship involves just being silent, being quiet before God. The apostle John, when he saw the, the, the revelation of, of, 
the person of Christ in the book of Revelation. It says, I fell before God like a dead man because I was in the presence of the holy God. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be silent and know that I am God. Uh, the prophet Zephaniah, the book right after Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 7, Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. And so uh, chapter 2 ends with worship, and it's a worship of just being silent and recognizing the greatness and the wonder of who God is. Well, that's God's answer to Habakkuk. And we're going to see next week then, Habakkuk then has an answer forgotten. And this whole book is a conversation between one man, Habakkuk, and God. And uh, we'll look at that next next week. This morning in our last 10 or 15 minutes, just want to look at uh, some life lessons from Habakkuk chapter 2. So what what can we learn from uh, this uh, experience of Habakkuk and his questions for God uh, from Habakkuk chapter 2. So we have four of them. We'll go through them very quickly here. Here's the first one, life lesson number one. Uh, and this comes out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, the just shall live by faith. And we need to be reminded we are not only saved by faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So salvation is all of God. And it's by our faith in him. But we also need to be reminded that we are also, what? To live every day by faith. Second Corinthians 5, 7, we walk not by sight, but by faith. And that the Christian journey, the Christian walk, is a walk of daily faith in the promises of God. Just like Habakkuk wrestled with this question of, um, you know, God, when are you going to do something? God said, I am. And I'm going to judge the Babylonians. And uh, Habakkuk took that by faith. God says, I surely will do it. Wait for it. It'll come. And so we need to hang on to those promises of God, don't we? As we live the Christian life um, and, and God's word and recognize that it is true and not live on our feelings, but on the faith of the word of God. In fact, this verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. Uh, this was this was the key verse for the Reformation for Martin Luther when he realized um, that salvation was by faith and we were to live by faith. Uh, this verse is quoted in Romans chapter one verse seventeen, Galatians chapter three verse eighteen, and Hebrews chapter ten. And so we live our lives by faith, faith in who God is and the Word of God. Secondly, God's revelation is certain to come to pass and must be proclaimed to others. God's revelation, God's truth, will absolutely come to pass, and it also needs to be proclaimed to others. So God's answer to Habakkuk, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. What? What's a herald do? A herald tells others. For the revelation awaits appointed time, It speaks to the end. It will not prove false. Wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. Habakkuk, this prophecy will come to pass. 
And when we look at the, the Word of God and we look at Scripture, we realize that that's true of every word in this book. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 17 and 18, part of the Sermon on the Mount, these words, uh, let me read verse 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the wee stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Every word in this book, every promise is true and will come to pass. So we already see that with prophecy for Jesus' first coming. Um, there's a lot of prophecies about his second coming. He's surely coming again because the Bible says so. God's revelation is certain to come to pass. But it also is to be proclaimed to others. So have a herald run with it and proclaim it to others. Why? So they can repent. God's judgment is coming someday. You know, the the good news of the gospel needs to be preceded by the bad news, doesn't it? You know, sometimes we say, do you want to hear the good news first or the bad news first? When you present the gospel, the bad news needs to come first. You are hopelessly lost and destined for an eternity without God. Unless, let me share some good news. And so, uh, just as Habakkuk was told, uh, hey, uh, proclaim this news. Have a herald run with it and proclaim God's words to others. Here's what Romans 10, beginning in verse 13, says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then it begins to ask some questions. There's five of them. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one that they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The word literally is someone proclaiming to them. And how can they anyone preach unless they are sent? Verse, last part of verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. <clears throat> and so... Um, the word of God needs to be proclaimed. And it is true, and it will come to pass. So I have one of these little treasures in my hand that uh, we've been collecting money for. And so how, how are they going to hear? Well, here's, here's one way that they are going to hear. And uh, this, these are from World Mission. Um, here's what Greg Kelly, who's their CEO, wrote. Uh, in the coming year, 2023, here's the vision of World Mission. We are trusting the Lord for 75,000 treasures. So they want to put 75,000 treasures and other audio devices to be distributed in unreached areas. Because 70% of individuals living in the ends of the earth cannot read or prefer to learn in a non-literate manner, hearing the Bible in their heart language is absolutely critical. Having our audio devices in over 6,000 languages allows us to set up listening groups virtually anywhere. So how are they going to hear? Well, through your giving in those little boxes, they're going to they're hear through this. Uh, thank God for technology today. They're going to hear through this. And uh, I'm glad I 
I, I finally got this back. I, I had loaned it out to a Wana Wana girl who just begged me and begged me and wanted to take it home and show mom and dad. And I said, I finally said uncle. And then I didn't see it for about a month. And thankfully she brought, she, she brought it back Wednesday. Uh, let's see if we can hear this. How are they going to hear? Uh, here we go. Johanna, love God more Jiru, eh? I have a Tisojeram, Pia and Nevanji. Sabira de Bia, Ada Batiso Brada, Aquagita Sanitaniara. That's uh, the New Testament in the Barona language, and um, through your giving, uh, that's how they're going to hear. And uh, if, if you look at um, as you go into our fellowship hall to the right, there's a little plaque of thank you from uh, World Mission because we did this a few years ago. And read read the little thank you there and see what what God uh, did and will do through these, and it'll it'll greatly encourage your your hearts. Well, two more, and and then we're uh, we're done. Uh, here's the third life lesson. Oftentimes, the fulfillment of God's revelation or promises involves waiting, waiting. Oftentimes, the fulfillment of God's revelation and his promises involves waiting. Oh, we live in a culture conditioned to instant gratification, don't we? We don't like to wait for anything. And... uh the other day I was trying to make it through a, a stoplight that I had been at the day before and I didn't quite make it. It's like, oh man, this is a really long one. You know, I, I'm in a hurry. Oh, we don't like to wait for our food. You know, we fast food line and then the fast food line's slow and uh, our computer to, to boot up and what, whatever. I remember dial up. So we, you know, we, we get impatient. We don't, we are so conditioned to instant results. And I know I've used this illustration before, but it, it, it fits. There's a famous preacher was in his office. He was pacing back and forth and kept pacing back and forth. And finally somebody said, well, what's wrong? He says, well, I'm in a hurry and God's not. And that's um, oftentimes true in our lives. What does God say to Habakkuk? Habakkuk says, um, I want you to wait for it and it will Surely come. I don't have time to read all the the verses in the Psalms that says, wait on the Lord, wait for him. Um, God's fulfillment of his promises and his word usually involves waiting. Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a baby. You're the promised seed. You're the promised son. And I'll bless the whole world through you. And Abraham and Sarah like, really, God? Yeah. And then they waited. They waited, they tried to help out, got out a little bit, and that didn't work out very well. And 25 years later, Isaac was born, the promised son, waiting 25 years. Many of the stories in the Bible are all about waiting. The intertestamental period, the the 400 silent years, Israel's waiting on the Messiah for 400 years, and finally... God steps into history and John the Baptist comes on the scene. Waiting is hard. Maybe you find yourself waiting this morning. 
many people find uh, difficulty waiting and listening, uh, waiting for doctor's results. I've got a couple friends I'm waiting to hear from, and uh, they're waiting to hear some some doctor's results, and that's a hard wait. Waiting for God to heal a marriage. Waiting for God to send a spouse. Waiting for a job. Waiting for a wayward son or daughter to come back to the Lord or a grandson or a granddaughter. Waiting for a spouse, a relative, or a friend to come to know Christ. Waiting for relief from chronic pain. Waiting for God to bless you with a child. All sorts of times in our life where we have to wait and God says, wait. Wait on the Lord. And while we're waiting, what's God doing? He's, he's also working in us to develop patience, to develop perseverance, develop character. Probably the most famous verse, in, at least in the Old Testament, that deals with waiting is, is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord Why do you say, Jacob and Israel, that God doesn't know what's going on? That my cause is disregarded by my God. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creators of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. I guess those grandkids eventually did wind down and go to bed last night. They'll eventually wear out. But those who, the old translation is, wait on the Lord. Uh, the NIV uses the word hope, and it's, it, it's very similar, but, but it's the concept of all my eggs are in one basket, the God basket. I don't have a plan B. I don't have a plan C. I am putting my hope and trust in God and God alone. But those who put their hope in God, God will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not walk and not be faint. I don't know what you're waiting on, but waiting is hard. But let me encourage you to just keep waiting and keep trusting, and keep praying, and God will come through in his timing. Number four, lastly, and then we're, we're done this morning. Life lesson number four, our response to the person and work of God should be worship, should be worship. And just like chapter two ends with Habakkuk writing, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. Let all the earth just humbly bow and worship before him. Uh, That's our response today, isn't it? That's why we're here. Our response to the person, the work, the greatness of God is worship. And uh, that's where Habakkuk chapter 2 ends. It's all through the Bible. Worshiping him and him alone. Well, this morning we're going to close um, with a song of worship that we're going to play on our uh, video here. It's a song that um, is by Mercy Me, and it talks about, we sung about getting to heaven, 
And uh, they wrote a song about what's it going to be like to get to heaven. And when I stand before God, and how will I respond? And one of the phrases says, will I be able to speak at all? And uh, let's just listen to this as we worship, and then I'll close in, in prayer.
only imagine when all I would do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you that for each of us that know you as our Savior, the best is yet to come. And so for uh, hearts that are heavy today, hearts that are struggling, hearts that are waiting on you, Lord, remind us that the best is yet to come. And that someday uh, we're going to be in your very presence. And we're going to worship you forever and ever. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we're on that journey, that uh, you will help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do. Help us to proclaim the good news to others. And Lord, we thank you for what you will do in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.